listening to a podcast from The National. Maritime oil trade from the Arabian Peninsula relies exclusively on two strategic choke points, the Strait of Hormuz to the UAE's north and Bab el-Mendeb to the south. More than a third of the world's petroleum trade by sea passes through these marine choke points. Despite efforts to diversify for the GCC, oil trade is a lifeline, but tensions with Iran expose vulnerabilities in both of the two choke points. Last week, we looked at Bab el-Mendeb. On this episode of Beyond the Headlines, we'll talk about the geostrategic importance of the Strait of Hormuz. At its most narrow, the Strait of Hormuz is just 54 kilometers wide. It connects the Arabian Gulf to the Indian Ocean, separating the shores of Amman and Iran. It's one of the most strategically important waterways in the world, But with tensions between Iran and some of the GCC countries rising, the Strait of Hormuz might also be the GCC's biggest strategic vulnerability. Clement Thurm is a research fellow for Iran at the International Institute for Strategic Studies. He's based in Bahrain, where he helps analyze Iran's political trajectory. He spoke with us over the phone from Bahrain about how access to the Strait of Hormuz might be threatened. Clement, last week, Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, loosely threatened that if sanctions blocked Iran's oil sales, he would do the same to the GCC, presumably by uh, blocking the Strait of Hormuz. How real of a threat is that? I think it's uh, just an answer. It's uh, based on the rhetorical diplomacy of the Islamic Republic of Iran since the Islamic Revolution of 1979. But one has to consider that even during the tanker war, at the end of the 1980s, during the Iran-Iraq war, Iran never closed the Strait of Hormuz. So it's not in the interest of Iran. Also, once again in 2011, when uh, the U.S. and Europe started an oil embargo against Iran, the same trade threats came from Tehran uh, to close the Strait of Hormuz, but it never happened because uh, it will be a self-sanction against Iranian interest to close the Strait of Hormuz. So I think it's just a rhetorical answer to uh, the war of words between Donald Trump and President Rouhani. Well, a war of words that could transfer into action. How is the security of the Strait of Hormuz handled today? Is the U.S. or do they have any plans to deploying any warships there? I think this is a work of the fifth fleet, which is based in Bahrain, uh, to guarantee the free flow of oil for U.S. allies in Europe and in Asia. But uh, I think that the Iranian Navy is too weak uh, to challenge uh, the supremacy of the U.S. Navy in the Gulf. Also, I think the only way for Iran to threaten the stability of the Strait of Hormuz is through missile as we saw in, in the Babel Mandeb Strait uh, last week, or uh, through mines lying in, in the Strait. But I think that this will be extreme uh, measures for Iran to take because this will um, uh, provoke anger, uh, especially uh, in China, uh, when Iran uh, makes a threat uh, against uh, closing the Strait of Hormuz, China reacted and said that they have an interest in the free flow of oil to the Strait of Hormuz. So I think it's not in the interest of Iran to do that. 
But in case of war, of bombing, nuclear escalation, in that case, in that worst case scenario, this could happen. Could you elaborate on uh, how a blockade would look like? I mean, what does a modern blockade of a strait mean today? Uh, you said that it's based on naval mines, or could it even be hit-and-run tactics? Yeah, I think that uh, Iran is not able to permanently close the Strait of Hormuz, but they can disrupt the traffic or create an atmosphere of insecurity because they for most of uh, uh, the strait uh, with Oman. But I think uh, also the Omani side of the Strait of Hormuz is against the blockade. So uh, it's very difficult for Iran uh, to take these extreme measures. Uh, I think it's only in the case of war, because in the time of peace, and as I said before, at the time of the Iran-Iraq war, Iran pretended many times to to close the Strait of Hormuz. They never uh, did it, because I think as an oil exporter, uh, they have uh, an interest in the free flow of oil. But in the hypothesis of oil embargo against Iran, uh, this could happen in a limited way uh, just to increase the price of oil, for instance, and to challenge uh, the the U.S. project uh, to contain Iran through uh, oil-related sanctions. Well, sometimes uh, the threats are enough. We saw uh, earlier this month Saudi decided to stop sending tankers through uh, the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. Uh, if, let's say, the countries of the GCC decided that going through the Strait of Hormuz was too dangerous, what alternatives would there be to oil shipments uh, in the six-nation bloc? I think uh, the case of Bab el-Mandeb is different because uh, I think that only 8% of the oil traffic is going to Bab el-Mandeb. And uh, in the case of Strait of Hormuz, it's 30% of the total oil flow worldwide. And among these 30%, 80% of the oil going to the Strait of Hormuz is going to Asian markets. So you can see that many countries have an interest to, to keep this trade open. But uh, I see that the alternative for GCC countries are many because Saudi Arabia, they have a, a pipeline now to the, the Red Sea. And uh, also you can um, export uh, Oil. It depends if Bab el-Mandeb and Strait of Hormuz are close together. I think the situation can be very difficult for the stability of oil market. But uh, I don't see this happening in the near term. Kuwait, Qatar and Bahrain have fewer alternatives to a blockade than the other countries. Saudi has the oil pipeline. It transfers oil at 5 million barrels a day. It plans to expand it to 7. How would Kuwait... Qatar and Bahrain address this issue? I think uh, Bahrain is uh, uh, following the Saudi guidelines uh, for uh, security issues. So uh, I think uh, they can export all to Saudi Arabia. They have a pipeline going from the Bahrain Highland to Saudi Arabia. So I think, uh, and also you have the fifth fleet uh, based in Bahrain. So I think uh, the security of Bahrain is uh, largely externalized. So even if it's a tiny kingdom, uh, they have uh, big security providers, namely Saudi Arabia, which is uh, the main regional power in the area, and the U.S., which is the superpower. So I think uh, that uh, the feeling of insecurity in Bahrain regarding this uh, threat from Iran is not that big, because as I said, it's not new. It's at least the third time during the Iran-Iraq war in 2011 at the time of Obama administration, 
when uh, the oil sanctions were very strong against Iran. And again, this time, because uh, all sanctions will be implemented against Iran. So this is more a uh, uh, rhetorical answer from from Iran. But I don't see uh, this threat uh, becoming a reality in, in the short term. But Clement, the last time it happened, it was under the uh, President Barack Obama administration, who had a much softer stance towards Iran. Today, we have President Donald Trump, who seems a lot more bellicose in nature. Doesn't that factor in at all? I think uh, it's very difficult to read uh, the Iran policy of Donald Trump because he offers to have direct talk without precondition uh, with the Islamic Republic of Iran yesterday. Uh, that is the difference with the Bush administration, for instance, who said during many years that they have preconditions before talking to Iran. And then at the end of the Bush administration, they started direct talk to the embassy, U.S. embassy in Baghdad in Iraq. So it will really depend on the ability of uh, the ruling elite in, in Tehran uh, to address the challenge from Donald Trump. But I think uh, they don't have the ideological flexibility uh, to deal with the U.S. administration uh, because uh, the Islamic revolution is deeply anti-U.S. And it will be very difficult with a president like Donald Trump or Ayatollah Khamenei uh, to start a direct talk with the U.S., so in the uh, hypothesis of uh, more sanctions uh, from the U.S., Iran will try to use China, Turkey, the Kurds also are very important uh, to bypass the all sanctions. Even Russia can be a player in providing uh, breath to the Iranian economy. Uh, so I think uh, many uh, buyers of oil uh, will look uh, to Iran because Iran oil will be cheaper. In, at the time of sanction, Iran is forced to sell uh, its oil with a huge discount. So it can be in terms of business of opportunities for uh, players like China who are not uh, risk-averse. Uh, I think uh, for the oil business, uh, Iran will continue to export some oil uh, in the future. Is there any physical implementation of sanctions? Would the U.S. be able to, for example block the strait themselves to make sure that Iranian uh, oil tankers don't pass through? I really doubt, because uh, the fifth objective is uh, the opposite, is to guarantee the free flow of oil. I think uh, the U.S. Uh, will maybe uh, be very careful in monitoring oil sales to Turkey, China, and this kind of country, uh, rather than uh, trying to militarily threaten uh, Iranian oil tankers. But at the time of the sanction, one has to remember that many oil tankers from Iran uh, were unable to export oil. But it was not because of military threat. Uh, it was because they didn't have insurance uh, for the oil tankers. And uh, the buyers were very careful. So I think uh, the U.S. Uh, are more on the economic warfare size rather than seeking a military confrontation on oil with Iran. Threats might be enough. I mean, how does this form talks of uh, President Donald Trump's plan to create an Arab NATO, seeing that the U.S. has a lot to lose uh, either way? I think uh, the U.S. is uh, in a strong position now with the Trump administration because Saudi Arabia and also Israel are, are supporting the new U.S.-Iran policy. But the problem of the Arab NATO is the gap between the position of Qatar on the one hand and the quartet on the other hand, namely Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates and Egypt. 
So uh, the difficulty is more uh, from inside the Gulf, because I think among the Gulf countries, uh, there is a divide about what is the Iranian threat and also what is the role of the U.S. in the region. Would President Rouhani lose some credibility in Iran as a leader if he is unable to actually implement any of the threats that he's made over uh, the last few weeks or months? As I said, the Islamic Republic is uh, doing this uh, this threat for for a long time now. I think uh, the purpose of this threat is not to be implemented; is to answer what they call the psychological warfare from the U.S. So uh, the answer is to play the game of the war of force. But I think uh, President Rouhani will be stronger if he's able to reconnect Iran to to the international economy and to create win-win economic relations with Iran's neighbor. But the problem of President Rouhani is he, he was not able to fulfill his promises to the Iranian people because he, he is not the one in charge of the Iranian regional policy. He's more on the side of the Supreme Leader and the Revolutionary Guards. So now the new Rouhani is obliged to side with Hassan Soleimani, the whole force, and to be uh, like uh, uh, anti-U.S. Rouhani. Hassan Soleimani said uh, after the last threat from President Rouhani that this reminds him of the young Rouhani. So it was a very radical revolutionary Rouhani, and he became like a bourgeois revolutionary, and now he's obliged to be back to his youth. So I think the problem of President Rouhani is more with the Iranian people because he, he will not deliver on his promises to improve economic daily life of the people and the human rights situation in the country. I'd like to thank my guest Clement Thurm for joining us on this episode. Also thanks to Willie Lowry and Harshini Karuna Ratne for producing the show. You can listen to Beyond the Headlines on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Follow our coverage on thenational.ae. I've been your host, Nasr al-Wesmi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.